Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Friends, it is a privilege and a gift that we have to live this day in the presence of God and with the fellowship of God's people. Let us remember that privilege and the opportunity that it affords us as we come to worship. And let us now be called together in worship, whether we are here physically present in this sanctuary or present via the online means now available to us. Let us read together responsively from the first psalm and invite the Lord to be with us. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Friends, let us worship God. When we offer God our confession, we're about a reconciling work with God and then because of that confession with one another. Will you please join me as together we read the prayer of confession as printed in the bulletin. O oh God, who alone can probe the depths of the heart, you hear the prayer of the humble and justify the repentant sinner. We confess that we have been blind to the reality of your presence in our lives. We have been deaf to the truth and power of your word, and we have been numb to the gentle nudging and directing of your spirit. Forgive us, Lord. Lead us into all truth, that we, being steadfast in the faith, may increase in love and in all good works and enter into everlasting life 
through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our God is a loving God, a God who is full of mercy and who forgives us in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we are forgiven and reconciled, we can go out and serve with confidence our Lord as we bring his grace to all people. Amen. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Use whatever gesture you would like to show your love for those around you. Keep storing up those hugs, that's all I'm going to say. Friends, we live our life within the reality of an amazing, awesome, eternal God, and God gives us the opportunity to live with Him and through Him and for Him in the midst of time in a particular place with a particular people. So let me tell you just a bit about some of the particular things that are coming up in our life together by which we can experience God's presence and share God's presence with others. The first way that we're going to connect with the awesome, eternal, almighty God and creator of the universe is with soup cans. If that doesn't seem strange to you, I don't know what does, but that's the way it works. The Super Bowl is coming in just a few weeks, and that means that we are going to continue to participate in a tradition that began back in 1970 with the Presbyterian Youth Group in the Midwest as they collected cans of soup to share with those who needed food in their local community. Hundreds of millions of dollars have now been given, countless numbers of cans of soup. And so we invite you on February 6th, a Sunday, or the 13th, a Sunday, to bring cases and cases and cases of soup, as well as huge checks or gobs of money so that we can buy soup for other folks. I don't know any plainer way to say it than that. If you have an entire semi-load of soup, then please, we invite you to participate in our drive-by drop-off on February 12th, Saturday the 12th, from 11 to 1 o'clock. We'll have folks out in the parking lot to, ready to receive your gift of soup and whatever other gifts you want to give. And uh, I've heard that we're going to have an ice cream truck available, and we'll give you some ice cream back. So that's a pretty good deal. In whatever way you can, please take this opportunity to participate in sharing the love of God through soup. Our branch barbecue, another opportunity to feed those who are hungry, will be this coming Saturday at noon down at Mission Bay Park. To learn more about how you may participate in that, be in touch with Jan Farley. We'll be having a new member seminar on Sunday, March 6th. If you are interested in joining the church, would like to learn about the church, would like to argue with the pastors about why you should not join the church, I suppose, that's your opportunity. Be in touch with Holly Crawford or with me about that opportunity. Opportunity. We have some beautiful flowers in worship this morning that are celebrating the life of Tom Adams, a longtime member of our church who last Monday morning went to be with the Lord. We'll be having services for Tom later on uh, in the spring and we'll let you know about that, but let's keep the Adams family in our prayers. I'm going to invite uh, Pradeepa Ganesh to come and be with us. Uh, Pradeepa works with our local Young Life groups and he's here to share with us as he has been before about some of the ministry and work of Young Life. And let me encourage you as you walk out of worship this morning to go straight out the door to the mission table and you'll have a chance to visit some more with Pradeepa and ask him what this deal is about this thing on his arm. But we won't talk about that right now. Pradeepa, share with us about Young Life. Well, thank you for having me. Um, you know, a lot of times I get asked, what, what is Young Life? What, what is, this? is this? Is this a Christian thing? Is it a, and, and my answer is, uh, it's kind of everything. Um, so Young Life is, is all about welcoming people to the table, like Jesus did. We see in Jesus' earthly ministry, there were sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Everyone was welcome at the table. And so for Young Life, we try and model that at the local high school. Um, we see lives transformed because of, uh, of what Jesus did, and, and we continue to see that at, at our local high schools in, in Rancho Santa Fe, in Del Mar, Solana Beach, Carmel Valley. And I wanted to talk about one student in particular whose life has been transformed. Her name is Micah, 
Um, she's a senior at Torrey Pines this year, and, uh, and due, to, due to some circumstances, her family had to move to Washington State. And this is a letter that she wrote me um, uh, on her departure about three weeks ago. This is Micah, who was a, a senior at Torrey Pines High School. High School. She said, Thank you for including me in the vision for Young Life, for praying for me. I've learned so much of what it means to walk in faith and step into what God has planned for me. I have learned that love is an action. I've seen it through your sacrificial time that you've spent and with other leaders, and it models Jesus. So Micah is a life that's been transformed. Um, she put her faith into action and, and turned her entire high school Torrey Pines High School has over 2,500 students. Micah was the captain of the, of the women's tennis team. She was the senior editor of the newspaper, and she was just a beloved um, student around campus. But she looked at the campus as a way to put her faith into action. In fact, one of her last things that she wrote to me, this is in the postscript, she said, P.S., I know I'm leaving, but there's one thing I'd like for you to ask. Uh, one of my guy friends, whose name is Jack, is someone who really needs young life and more so needs Jesus in his life right, right now. He's been struggling. I know for a long time he hasn't really believed in Jesus, but I think he's warming up to the idea of Christianity, even if he won't admit it. Um, so what is a transformed life? Why do we do what we do with young life and, and adolescence? We do it because uh, we want to reach the next Jack and we want to find the next Micah who's gonna see her school, her family, her community as a mission field. So on behalf of Young Life and the work that we're doing in your community, I wanna say thank you. Thank you for helping us reach the next Jack. Thank you for helping us grow in their faith, the next Micah. Stay here with us. Pradeep, I'm one of those guys named Jack who was reached <laughs> by youth ministry in my own local church. Yes, so I'm gonna be praying for that Jack as well. Let's pray for you right now. Yeah. God, we thank you so much for the ministry of Young Life and pray especially now for Pradeepa and his family and his team and all those involved locally in sharing Christ with uh, folks who maybe have never heard about him, folks who've never been raised in the life of a church to learn about him. Bless them and protect them and guide them and then bless them through what we are able to do for their ministry, all for the sake, of course, of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless your brother. So folks, there are all kinds of ways that our church is involved both locally and around the world in the ministry of Jesus. And you are involved in that ministry in your daily life. One of the ways that we can express our commitment to God and continue our development and our support for that work is through our tithes and offerings. So now as this next song is being sung, I would invite you to bring your offerings forward here to the baskets or simply to give and all of the other means possible to you. God bless.
Friends, this is a time in our worship service where we present our prayers of intercession for ourselves, for our loved ones, for the nation, for the world, and every church and worshiping community here and around the world. We do so in the hope and faith and love in Jesus Christ, whether you are here in person or online. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. O most gracious and loving Father, whose loving kindness is as far as the east is from the west, whose compassion toward us is as higher than the heavens are above the earth, we give you thanks and praise that we can come before you as your redeemed and beloved children to pour forth our hearts to open up our lives to you. For you alone, O God, know us inside and out, even before we offer our prayers on our lips. You have already met us in the today and in the tomorrows. We give you thanks that we can count on you, for you are trustworthy and true. You are faithful. You are good. You are beautifully wonderful, O God. You cause us to give you thanks and to rejoice every single day. Gracious and loving God, we offer our prayers to you. Prayers, O oh God, for a world that is hurting, that is weary and worn. We join our hearts and our prayers and our lives in solidarity with your people of the congregation of Beit Israel in, in Colleyville, Texas. We are grateful, O oh God, for the freedom of the hostages. And we pray, O oh God, that you would comfort that community and so many synagogues here and around the world traumatized by the violence of yesterday. We ask you and plead with you, O oh God, that in every place where human hearts are prone to violence in word and in deed, that you would restrain it, O oh God, that you would transform hearts in a way that only you can. Hear us, O Lord, hear us, even on the eve, O Lord, of the birthday of your servant, Martin Luther King, Jr. Might it be, O Lord, our commitment to justice and to equality and to nonviolence, that it not be just one day of the year, but that it be every day. For you are the righteous and just God who is for us the reconciling God every single day. Help us, O Lord, to be about your work of doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with you. For a world, O oh Lord, that is tired because of a global pandemic that seems to have no end in sight, bring healing, O oh Lord, bring wisdom. Protect, O oh Lord, frontline workers, we pray. Bring healing and wholeness, O oh Lord, for so many in mind, body, and spirit, for those who ail not only with COVID-19, but so many ailments, we turn to you. We turn to you, O oh Lord, for comfort for so many, for so many who have lost loved ones. We entrust their souls into your eternal peace and love as we pray and ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would enfold and embrace all those who are saddened. Comfort them, we pray. For so many, O oh Lord, who are seeking your wisdom and guidance, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would grant them that in the midst of discernment. For O oh Lord, churches and worshiping communities here and around the world, we pray that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be proclaimed faithfully in word and in sacrament, in prayer and in song, and in the gathering of your people, whether in person or online. We pray that you would bless our pastor Jack as he offers your word to us. Open up those spaces and places in our hearts to receive it, and then to live out your word throughout this week and indeed every day. For all the prayers that we are offering, even now, in the silence of our hearts, hear us, O God. For we are bold to pray with confidence those sacred words that your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Almighty and 
Friends, it strikes me that we might want to take a moment to express appreciation to lots of folks in the life of our church, especially part of our staff. We have several staff members out today uh, because of our COVID protocols and what the whole world seems to be struggling with these days. But those of us who are healthy enough are here, like our four section leaders that are the heart of our choir in many ways, and Susie, our organist, and my colleagues in ministry, my associate pastors, and a handful of the folks back at the, uh, the audio-visual lighting table. And all of those folks deserve your prayer and appreciation, along with so many others in our society who are fighting through this, including uh, all of our many health care workers. So let's just take a word and say thank you, God, for all those good folks. And thank you for all you good folks who are here in worship to strengthen and encourage each other. Let's give ourselves a hand. Okay, enough patting ourselves on the back. I'm a Calvinist, we are in dangerous territory there. Would you please stand with me as you are able so that together we can hear and receive the scriptural word of God as we find it recorded in the second chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up, as usual, for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed how when people do something really wonderful in life, the rest of us sit back and begin to wonder why or how or, or what was it that made them who they are, that led them to the place where they could accomplish something great? We sometimes think about that for ourselves. What has made us who we are? Why are we the way we are? And truth be told, at least in my life, there are certain people that I ask that question every single day. Where did you come from? We'll leave that one aside. 
We think about that quite often, perhaps, especially, I think, as we're raising children. What factors in a person's life, what experiences in their upbringing, what events of their history, what qualities in their character has made them to be who they are and to accomplish what they've accomplished? We ask that same kind of question, not just when people do something amazing and magnificent and cool, but when they do something terrible, something tragic, something sad. These arguments stir up an old argument now. It's called the debate between nature and nurture. You know about it. The nature folks want to say that we become who we become because of who we were born to be. That particular mix of genetic characteristics or inherited characteristics or whatever it is that was born into us. And there's truth in that. If you've ever had children or grandchildren or simply watched people grow, we know that from the very beginning, people are who they are. It's true even with animals. They are who they are. But that's not the whole question. There's another side to the question, the nurture question, that wants to say that the experiences you have in life after you are born and that the choices you make in life after you are born or the choices that are made for you, that all of those things contribute into who you become and why you are who you are. Well, today I have the answer to the debate between the predominance of nature versus nurture in making us who we are. Do you know what the answer is? The answer is yes, both. And while it's important to talk about both things, let's simply admit that everything, what we're born with and what happens after we're born, feeds into who we are. So let's talk about Jesus for a moment, who accomplished amazing things. We have been talking about Jesus for weeks and weeks on end. In fact, I would hope that we would be accused in this church of talking about Jesus all the time. And as we have come through the celebration of Jesus' birth, we have talked a lot about the nature side of Jesus. Jesus was born from the line of David. He was born by virtue of a spiritual conception from God. We might say that he was even predestined to be God and human, to be Savior, to be Messiah. From the nature side of things, I suppose you could say that Jesus was always meant to be God because he always was God. That's how John summarizes his understanding, and it is part of the church's understanding of who Jesus was. He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. In a sense, that's the nature side of Jesus, and it talks a great deal about the divine side of Jesus. But today I want to talk about the human side of Jesus, the nurture side, if you will. Because after all, we confess, we admit, and that's part of what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus was born as one of us, as a fully human being. Think about Jesus. You know a lot about Jesus already. What could we say maybe that was born into Jesus as a human being? Everyone is born with certain characteristics, aptitudes, interests, personality uh, factors. I suppose you could say that Jesus was born with an aptitude for philosophical and theological thought. That's what he did with his life, was study God, teach God. Maybe Jesus wasn't all that interested or all that gifted in things like, well, let's say mathematics, for instance, right? Jesus would look out on a crowd of 5,000 people and say, I have five fish, I'll feed them all. That's bad math. That's okay with me if Jesus wasn't good at math. 
What else was Jesus good at, though? Well, Jesus was very willing to stand out from a crowd and to stand in front of a crowd. Lots of people are terrified of standing in front of other people and opening their mouths. And the more I preach, the more terrified I become, but so be it. (laughs) Jesus was a courageous guy. He took on a very risky endeavor. He took on the powers of religion and the powers of politics, the powers of government. He was a a risk taker. But he also was quiet and contemplative in his nature. He often would go away to a place to be by himself, to pray, to think, to learn. And yet he also had a very relational aspect of his character. He loved being with crowds of people. One of the most serious accusations ever thrown at him was that he partied too much with the wrong people. He loved people. He loved children. He loved humor. He loved good wine. And he was good at making it. We could go on talking about the character of this person, Jesus. But let's focus even more for a moment as we talk about what made Jesus who Jesus was. We often gloss over the stories because there are only a few of them and because we want to hurry on to the big news about Jesus, about his adult ministry, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection. And of course, that's the core message. That's the core story of Jesus' life. But but we do damage to who Jesus actually was and what led him to be there if we skip too quickly past all of those years between his birth and his public ministry. Within those 20 years, we know almost nothing. We really have only one major story. And some people think we don't know enough. We do have Luke to thank primarily for knowing about what Jesus' childhood was like. There were other people who wrote stories about Jesus' childhood long after he was born. They told us about a a Jesus who was fond of catching little birds and holding them in his hand in front of his friends and then squeezing them until they died and then opening his hand again and resurrecting the birds so that it could fly away. Jesus was kind of a, a show-off, according to those stories. Or, or, or better yet, Jesus would play with his friends on the housetops there in Nazareth where he grew up, and he was fond of pushing them off the side of the house so that they would fall down and break their legs or maybe even break their necks and die. And, and then he would resurrect them and heal them. Kind of a holy brat. Those stories about Jesus didn't make it into the scriptures because they weren't very consistent with everything else we knew about Jesus. What do we know about Jesus' childhood? Not much, but I think it's enough. What we know is that Jesus grew up in a household that was led by faithful Jewish parents, who were deeply devoted to their traditions, to their spiritual habits, to their orthodox rituals, to their first century Judaism. And here's the evidence we have of that. We are told ever so briefly that Jesus was circumcised at the age of eight days. That's what you did. Jesus received the traditional mark in his human flesh that signified his place within the covenant people of God, chosen by God through the line of Abraham to be a welcome, to be a sign, to be part of the redemption of all of creation. We are told that Jesus' mother, Mary, underwent the traditional ritual of purification. That according to the direction of Leviticus 12, 40 days after the birth of a male child, Mary went to the temple to purify herself through the sacrifice of two birds. 
Leviticus actually tells us that you should sacrifice a lamb and a pigeon, but if you're poor, you are allowed to sacrifice just two pigeons or two doves. Jesus grew up in a poor family, but his mother was a faithful Jew who went through the ritual of purification. Jesus himself, we are told, was dedicated in the temple according to the direction of Exodus 13. Every firstborn son born to faithful Jews would be given back to God, dedicated to God. If they were from the right family, they would be given over to being raised in the temple so that they become priests. Or they could be redeemed, bought back for five shekels. Jesus was not from a priestly family, but he was raised by his family, still dedicated to God. In that family, they observed the high holy days, such as the Passover. It was their usual custom, we are told, to celebrate the Passover. That's why they were in Jerusalem when Jesus was 12, clearly after his bar mitzvah. He is there in the temple with his family to celebrate. Now, Jesus was used to these things. Jesus was familiar with these things because they were part of the regular daily habit and practice of his family back home in Nazareth. Later on in the fourth chapter of Luke, we're told that as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And then Luke tells us the story about Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah and preaching from the scroll of Isaiah. We know that Jesus studied the Bible. Now, that's an interesting thing to say because theologically we say that Jesus wrote the Bible. But Jesus was a human being too. He studied the Bible. Notice when he went to the temple when he was 12, we focus on the fact that Jesus asked really hard questions and we focus on the idea that Jesus was there teaching the teachers. But do you know the first thing that Luke says? that Jesus listened to his teachers. Jesus had to learn the Bible. And then he spent his whole life, his whole life, within the community of faithful people. He is born into that community. His parents assume that community has surrounded him, and so when they leave Jerusalem, they think that Jesus, as a 12-year-old, nearly a grown adult, is just with other members of the family, other members of the community, and he's lost for a while, but they find him. And then we're told he is obedient to his family from there on out. Finally, as an adult, when Jesus left his home and left his family, he created another community. He called the disciples to be with him. I want to talk about all of those things all together because you and I need to understand that from the human side of things, Jesus needed to be part of the community of faith. Jesus wanted to participate and practice in all the spiritual disciplines that were afforded to him, the habits, the rituals, the things that people of faith always have done and always will do to engage with God. I have a question. If Jesus needed to do those things, why do we sometimes think that we do not? If Jesus grew up in a family of faithful parents, who I suspect at times said, no, Jesus, you can't sleep in this morning. We're going to the synagogue. Or said, no, Jesus, you can't run off with your friends. We need to go celebrate the Passover, whatever it was. If Jesus needed those things, wanted those things, practiced those things, and as an adult, when he could decide to do whatever he wanted to do, he still did those things. Can we think that we should do nothing less? Jesus faithfully practiced 
the fundamentals of faithfulness. And that's the best argument I can give you for why you and I should do the same. In his adult ministry, Jesus would say, I come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. He knew what the law was about. He knew how to call Israel back to the heart of who they were meant to be. He knew how to challenge Israel's flawed and hollow practices, as Fred Craddock puts it, and to say, folks, this is who we are. This is what we're about. We've gotten it wrong. Let's come back. Did Jesus know those things simply because he was divine? No, he knew those things because he had been raised in the faith because he was faithful to the practices of faith. He had parents who did not shirk from their responsibility. He had a church, a community of faith that was faithful to its responsibility to him. And so I think as many things as we can say about Jesus, we must also say that even though he was born to be the savior of the world, he was also born to be taught about who he was and what he was to do. Taught by parents, taught by other adults, taught by the habits and practices and rituals of faithfulness. Preaching this message to anyone who's listening to this message, in a way, is like what we would say preaching to the choir. You're here, you're in Bible study, you do pray, you do go down with the branch barbecue and serve the homeless, you give faithfully of your financial wealth, you do the things that we are meant to do that we must do regularly and faithfully if we are going to have a vital and living relationship with God. And so I commend you, I encourage you, and I challenge you, as I do for myself every single day. Keep on practicing the fundamentals of faithfulness. If you want to think about what they mean in a person's life and your own life is not evidence enough, or Jesus' life is not evidence enough, think about the folks like Pradipa and the folks who work with Young Life to teach young people who now mostly have not had the benefit of growing up in a church and for the first time are learning about Jesus. Think about people like Martin Luther King who did what he did in the world because he knew Jesus, because of the faithful practices of his family. What's at stake? What's at stake if we do not do these things is knowing God and loving God and having heaven on earth and heaven after our time on earth is done. Keep up the good work and keep getting better. I can't say it more simply than that, so I'll quit. Amen. Thank you, Jack. Friends, let's respond with the affirmation of faith, the ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed in one voice and one heart. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Let me give you a couple pieces of homework. First thing, think of somebody today who in your life was instrumental in teaching you about Jesus or introducing you to Jesus. Second part of your homework, think of somebody in your life for whom you are instrumental in their knowing and learning about Jesus. Third part, go do something about it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you his peace today and always. Amen. Thank you.